Well, we're going to look at this passage now from Luke chapter 20. And we're going to be thinking about who we pay attention to, who is our authority. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you're someone who has been avidly watching the government uh, daily briefings. I don't know if that's been uh, you at all, or, or maybe you're someone who, whenever you see um, you know, anyone from the government come on TV, you just turn it off. I don't want to listen to them. Uh, I think it's been interesting seeing how different people have, have responded to this. Uh, but certainly one of the, the interesting things, I think, about our society these days is, and this is what a lot of people have, have noted, is that there's been a real collapse in authority. You know, a, a lot of people are no longer members of political parties. Um, there's been a collapse of trust in the police, for example, and um, lots of those sorts of things. And I think it leads to the question, well, who is the authority in our lives? For a lot of people, I think that's probably themselves, but it does lead to the question, you know, who should be the authority in our lives? If it's not the government, if it's not the police, if it's not teachers, if it's you know, whoever it is, who is the authority in our lives? Who should we really be, be listening to? And that's what we're going to be thinking about in our sermon today. And in our sermon, Luke chapter 20 from verse 1, authority comes up straight away. And uh, as Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he was proclaiming the, the good news. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law with the elders came to him. So the senior bunch of people in the Jewish world at the time, they came to Jesus and said, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. Who gave you this authority? So, so they actually say it twice. Now they might be saying here, Jesus, you're not a trained rabbi, because Jesus wasn't kind of a trained rabbi in, in the way that they were. Uh, so they may have just been saying that. Uh, it could have been even more, and that they're saying, you know, Jesus, you've been really critical of us. You have said some things which are pretty shocking. So, you know, who gave you this authority as, you know, you're not even a trained rabbi, but even more than that. Um, so whatever it was, they are calling into question uh, how Jesus had the authority to do this. Uh, so Jesus, and in so often, he turns the tables on them and he asks them a question. I remember a few uh, years ago, I think at one of the first Wednesdays, um, I did a little book review. There's a book I was reading called Questioning Evangelism. And it, it, it was talking about not, not whether we, you know, we should question evangelism itself, but uh, it, how we use questions in evangelism. And it was a really good book, actually. And it looked at the, the questions that Jesus asked. And I think uh, looking at the way that Jesus asked questions is a good model for us, you know, because so often a well-placed question can be much more effective than just saying X, you know, just saying, stating uh, making statements. So Jesus was a master at using questions. I think it's good to learn from him. That's sort of by the by. He, he turns the tables on the, the um, chief priests and so on. He says, well, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? So he said, John the Baptist, from heaven or, or human? And um, really what he is saying is, look, John wasn't a trained rabbi either. And John had said some pretty shocking things. So if you say that John's baptism is from heaven, 
what you're basically saying is that John was accredited by God and John had that authority. If you say it's not from heaven, um, then actually, you know, the, the, as they realised, the, the people held that he was a prophet. And the, uh, they realised this, they discussed it among themselves, and they said, um, you know, if we say from heaven, you said, why don't you believe him? If we say of human origin, all the people will stone us. So what they do, verse 7, is they answer, we don't know. They shrug their shoulders, we don't know where it was from. They're just so completely unconcerned with the truth. That was the thing that struck me actually about this. They're just so completely unconcerned with the truth. They don't care about what the truth is. All they really care about is their own particular agenda. They don't actually care about the truth. Uh, you think, how can they be so blind? You know, how can they uh, just ignore what should be fairly obviously true to them? You know, that, that John's baptism was from heaven and therefore, Jesus's should be as well. They don't see that and they can't see that. They're, they're willfully rejecting him. And it just made me think of what um, the Apostle Paul says about humanity in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 20. This is what Paul says. That the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So what Paul says is, I think, just explains what is going on here that the chief priests and teachers of the law and so on, they don't want to believe in Jesus. They don't want to believe in Jesus. And what they're doing is they're finding a reason not to believe. They're rationalising it. They're not, not actually looking at the evidence. They're looking at uh, their, the evidence with their own particular spectacles on, which just refuse to see anything. And perhaps you've had this issue when you've uh, d discussed things with people who don't believe. Now, it just seems like people are throwing up excuses rather than reasons and this is exactly why it's because people don't want uh, to believe in Jesus and they find excuses and reasons rather than looking at the truth that's what and it's been going on since you know since Jesus was walking on this earth it's been going on since then and uh, ever has been that's why it is like it is today so Jesus he uh, he exposes the truth about them and by asking that question he actually exposes what they really think and what they really believe very very cleverly so Jesus goes on then to tell the parable about a vineyard now a vineyard would have been known to the people from the book of Isaiah as a metaphor for Israel and if you look we won't look at it now but if you want to later on look at uh, Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 to 7 and God, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, talks about, excuse me, talks about the people of Israel like a vineyard and how he tended it. And uh, the, Jesus is using that same metaphor here, talking about the people. And I think it's actually a, one of the most straightforward of Jesus's parables, in fact. That's probably why the people understood it, as we'll see in a minute. 
Um, but he, he talks about the uh, hiring tenants, which I take to be the, the people of Israel, the nation, who, who are looking after kind of the, the blessings of, of God. You know, his, um, the, all of the good things that be, you know, come with belonging to his people and his, his kingdom. And, um, and he, he sends tenants to them. And who do the tenants represent? I think they represent uh, the prophets. If you look at what the people did to the tenants in the parable and compare that with uh, what the, the people of Israel did to the prophets. So if we just turn back to Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and, and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. So Jesus has previously in Luke's gospel said that uh, the prophets were treated badly by the people, and, and indeed they were. And so that's why uh, the tenants are included in this parable. But then we get to, to the son. Then we get to the son. So the prophets were bringing people the word of the Lord and, and the people, as we've, we've already seen, did not want to hear it. But eventually the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? This is verse 13. I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. So whereas he'd sent tenants, uh, he'd sent um, others before, servants before, people, now he was going to send his son, his only beloved son. And you think, well, that's clearly talking about Jesus, isn't it? And I think this is why Jesus draws attention to it, because he's saying, you know, with the servants, you should have listened to them. But now the son is here. There is an even greater obligation to listen to what God wants to say to us. You know, it's one thing to, to reject um, a, a prophet, a servant, a human being of God. It's another thing uh, entirely to reject the Son of God. You know, you should have listened to the prophets, but you should definitely listen to the Son. Uh, but the tenants, they don't listen. In fact, they just want the inheritance. They just want the inheritance for themselves. They say, this is the heir. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So the tenants, they, they just want all of the blessings for themselves without, without the owner. They just want to keep it for themselves. And it just made me think, you know, how often are, are we like that, you know, as human beings, that we want all of the blessings that God gives without the one who gives them. You know, we want all of God's blessings without God. That is how, how it works as, as human beings, unfortunately. And, and this is what we see here. Well, Jesus, he, uh, he goes on and he says that the owner of the vineyard will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And uh, the people, they hear this and say, uh, God forbid, you know, surely not, this can't be, can't be the case. And uh, Jesus is talking about the, the, um, the vineyard being given to invite you know, the Gentiles in, to open up the kingdom of God to all peoples, as we, we know now through uh, later on um, through the Bible, that the kingdom of God is now open to, to all people from all nations, uh, as long as they believe in, in the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus, uh, he, he finishes off this section, he looks at them, 
And he says, what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now it's interesting actually that Jesus is quoting uh, here, you may notice a footnote in your Bible, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 118. And if you recall from last week, there was also a quotation from Psalm 118 when people said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That was also a quotation from Psalm 118. So it's interesting how the one has developed into the other. Now Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king, but then he says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And those two things sort of go together. You don't really have time to explore that now, but I thought that was an interesting link and maybe worth reflecting on uh, for yourself later and looking at Psalm 118. Um, but really this is what Jesus is saying here is that he is the, the one, the prime one, the only ultimate one that we need to listen to. He is the, the stumbling block. Now Paul talks about a stumbling block in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. He is the stumbling block, the one on whom our faith will, will stand or fall, you know, whether we trust in Jesus or not. He is the one that we need to trust him. And the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they looked for a way to arrest him, um, but they were afraid of the people. So the chief priests, they couldn't accept that. They were afraid of the people, so they didn't arrest him then. And you know, it really um, uh, made me think, actually, that they were supposed to be the leaders of the people, and they were questioning Jesus about um, they were questioning Jesus about his authority. But really, they had so little authority themselves. You know, they just didn't even have the authority to actually do what they thought was right and arrest him, because they were afraid of the people they were the ones actually who didn't have the authority. You know, shouldn't have trusted in the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and so on, because they didn't actually have God's authority. Jesus is the only one who had God's authority, which is the, the only kind of authority in the end that really matters. So um, that is the irony of this passage. You know, whereas the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they come up and question Jesus' authority. He was the one who has real authority, the only, the only one who has real authority. And the question for us is, do we uh, recognise that? Do we recognise that Jesus has the authority? You know, do we recognise that in our lives? Do we recognise that in the way that we live our lives? You know, do we recognise that in the way that we submit to him? in the way that we listen to the way that, that he wants us to live our lives, rather than the, the way that our leaders perhaps, or, or the media, or our society tell us that we should live our lives. Because Jesus is the one who has authority in a way that our leaders and the media and our society, all of those things, they don't have that authority. Only Jesus has God's authority uh, with him, and so we should listen to him. And I think we should, also, uh, we should also think about our leaders as well, because our leaders have the responsibility to recognise that as well. 
And I read Psalm 2 um, this morning, and um, I think we had, had that earlier on in the service. Um, as I'm recording this, I'm planning to do it later, but when you're watching this, we will hopefully have already had it, uh, Psalm 2. But, um, but also, I was thinking about John's Gospel, John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11, where Jesus was facing Pilate. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. Do you refuse to me uh, to speak to me, Pilate, uh, Pilate said. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So Jesus could say to Pilate, you would have no power if it were not given to you from above. And Jesus is saying to, to Pilate that he should use that authority in the right and godly way as well. You know, that leaders have the responsibility to, to listen to Jesus as much as the, the laity, the sort of the ordinary people, if you like. So everyone from the, the leaders of a society to the, the ordinary, if you like, people have the responsibility to listen and to, to heed that authority of Jesus. Everyone does. And uh, we need to pray for our leaders, as I said last week, to, to recognise that authority too, as much as we do. So just to finish with, with three quick points coming to the end here. I think the first thing is to say, don't fear, listen to Jesus. You know, the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they feared the people. And because they didn't really have authority, they didn't really listen to Jesus, they feared. We don't have to fear, because Jesus has ultimate authority. And when we are on Jesus's side, then we don't have to fear anyone else. So we don't need to fear anything if we trust in, in Jesus and listen to him. But I think we should also pray for courage. And, you know, Paul often asks for uh, prayer for courage. And I think so should we. You know, that it's, it's easy to say don't fear, but we need to pray and ask God to help us to be people who, who don't fear and who are able to speak the truth boldly, who are able to, to speak those words of authority, those words of challenge as Jesus spoke to authority. Because being a Christian is, in some ways, about speaking the truth to power. Uh, obviously, that will uh, be different depending on our situation and you know, different people will do it in different ways. But I think as Christians, we do have a responsibility to speak the truth into a society that doesn't want to hear it. So we should need to, so we should pray for boldness and courage in doing that. And I think the final thing is that we should pray, as I said last week, pray for our leaders, pray for our nation, pray for many people to recognise Jesus's authority in the way that we shape our society, in the way that we live our lives, in our questions of morality in question all sorts of things we should listen to Jesus and we should pray for our leaders for our nation to recognize that and that we would be a nation under the cross and I think perhaps in, in years gone by that may have been more the case um, but we should pray that God would do a new thing in our generation and that God would uh, bring us under the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ under his authority and that we would seek him and his will uh, for ourselves, for our leaders, for our nation. Well, let's take a moment to pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray that you would help us to listen to Jesus as the one who has authority. Please help us not to fear, uh, but please help us to, to be bold and courageous 
in speaking of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that many in our society, in our land, many uh, across our, uh, especially our government, our leaders in the church and in society, would acknowledge Jesus's authority and would seek to, to put his words and his will into practice in uh, all of the, the things that go on in our society and in every way. And we do ask these things, Lord, trusting in Jesus' name and trusting that you are able to do more than we ask or imagine through Christ our Lord. Amen.